welcome to episode 36 of Expanding Beyond. Uh, it's finally getting cold and foggy here <laughs> in the area and I don't know, coronavirus is back, so it must be autumn. Yes. How are you doing, Monica? <laughs> I'm doing a cold. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. <laughs> because guess what? It's autumn. So and coronavirus is not the only thing out there. Yeah, it's been unbelievable this year, what the kids yeah. brought back from school. I don't know, I've been sick more than them, I think, this autumn. It's so annoying. Hopefully it's over for the... I, I don't know, not for the year, but at least for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. Be happy with that. So otherwise I'm doing fine. It's uh, uh, It has been an interesting couple of weeks. I'm starting to realize a few things on the, on the new... On the new job it's still new it's still less than six months mm. two weeks to six months so it's still new uh, <laughs> that makes it interesting they make me feel different to some extent so overall that's okay what about you i think i've passed six months already but it still feels a bit like a new job <laughs> <laughs> with all the stuff going on but yeah mm. That no, makes it feel like a new job because it becomes a new job. <laughs> yeah, we're still, as a team, basically, we're still trying to figure out how everything works. Maybe that's mm -hmm. what it is. Maybe that's that. Yeah. So speaking of getting colds and sickness, <laughs> Monica, you've been seeing people. <laughs> yes, uh, that's the reason why. Because uh, I've been pretty careful as of now. Like, I don't take public transport anymore. No, I'm not using the car. I'm using the bike most of the times. I always wear my mask in public places where there's uh, uh, crowds. I go to the office seldom, like once a week. And I was until a couple of weeks ago alone in the room. So I was careful. Mm. But then what happens? I have been describing what we are uh, trying to do at uh, at my new uh, workplace for for some time. As with all big endeavors, we decided at some point that it was the moment to you know just let's settle down, uh, sit for a second, and try to figure out where we're actually heading. Um, yeah. So we decided to call a few people in from the states big wigs, senior management, like VP of product, CTO, uh, the president, uh, we have a president now. Oh, wow. Um, it was a fascinating experience to see people with such experience working. Why am I saying this? So we called these people in and we went for an offsite. We went for an offsite for like, uh, almost three days, uh, where we really tried to align not only on the what do we want to do but on the status quo even mm -hmm. it's like because it, as i said in the past year kaya has been growing so much so much you have no idea and many many things because people join all at once they they see that something or someone is there and they I, I myself was doing that. They give it as an assumption, they take it as an assumption that there's, there's an operations team. So there's someone that is taking care of support or someone that is taking care of, um, we have medical affairs for the sake of, you know, comfort and, and speed. We give all these 
all these teams a label, right? So there's the operations team, there's the support team, there's the medical affair teams, the DevOps team, uh, blah, blah, blah. And because it becomes this, it's a, like an equation, right? Like, so you have an, an, incog an incognita, I think that's uh, also the, the, or at least that's in Italian for whomever is not Italian, I'm sorry. That's the extent of my math knowledge in English. Um, so there's this uh, X that gets substituted for an actual value. And not that many people actually realize that the number behind that uh, variable is actually very, very small. So the support team is actually two people working part-time. <laughs> <laughs> and we're basing uh, part of our... Um, strategy our goals of uh, of next year on the fact that these two people working half of the time are going to be able to handle the influx of users asking clarifications about certain things in our product uh, yeah. or they are going to be the ones helping people with submitting their prescriptions to the uh, to the insurances we're talking about literally 40 hours a week <laughs> yeah. for a potential uh, pool of uh, 70 million users, like potential. I mean, that's not exactly the number, but you know. So it was very interesting to dive deeper into what it actually means for all the teams around a product team that actually creates the product itself to launch something. Mm -hmm. I figured that for our medical affairs team to uh, provide the data for a study, it takes up to six months. If they want to talk with uh, leaders in the industry to uh, get to know them and vice versa, get these leaders in uh, to know us as a product and as a, as a medical uh, solid company, it might take up to two years. So it's non-trivial to actually do something like this. Yeah. Uh, so in general, it was a very good reminder. It was interesting because of that. It was interesting because, as I said, I got the opportunity to see the interactions. I, I, I have a notebook with me where I take notes because otherwise my mind is like, you know, I've said this already, like the dog from the up uh, movie from Disney, like, oh my God, squirrel. So I <laughs> force myself in very long meetings to take notes because then I stay focused and... Uh, you don't fall asleep? No, uh, I also don't <laughs> check Twitter um, yeah. <laughs> or Slack for that matter. And seeing these people with so much more experience than I interacting the kind of questions they were asking, uh, how they were asking those questions, uh, how they were like, how the word of a single person could tip the room on one side or the other of, of an argument of a discussion. So very interesting, very fascinating. Mm -hmm. But this means also that we have spent three days, uh, basically closed in a room. Same applies for afterwards when we came back to, uh, to the office because it was an opportunity to have a few people from the States and actually being in the office and working together. So it was also a very exciting time because finally oh, you see your colleagues and, and you work together on something. There's whiteboards, like physical whiteboards, amazing. And uh, you stay too long with people in a room and guess what happens? You get a cold. So super fun. Despite this, 
I think it was an, a very interesting experience again for me, because after two years of barely going to the office, I could appreciate again what it means to actually uh, work in the same room with someone on a common problem and having this exchange that is literally flowing right between mm, yeah. uh, you and this other person that is not filtered by anything. It's not filtered by technology. You can see the whole person. So that was very, uh, very uh, interesting and, uh, and pleasant. I don't think I would have been able to uh, appreciate and get to this level of knowing each other with the new PM that we have finally hired for uh, for my team, director of product, actually. He is active PM, of course, but in less than two weeks, we wouldn't have been able to be in the same room. So yeah, that's true. yeah it's just different. I think we can compensate with, with some techniques and, uh, uh, and tools, but it's humans are 360. They are <laughs> 3D, so. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, let's see. Maybe maybe next year we can manage for my team to bring everything, everyone together. It's going to be interesting where and how we do that, because it's like three countries and multiple cities in all those countries. So there's barely anyone in the same city in the yeah. end. <laughs> it, it will pose an interesting uh, challenge. I, I'm curious to see how the situation will evolve. I mean, the company will in any case, stay partially remote because we have half of the team across the ocean. So there's no other way to interact with some people, right? Um, mm -hmm. Than doing it uh, via internet. But also here in Europe, the assumption is that we, we uh, the assumption, I mean, we are actually doing it already. Uh, we have people that work in other, in other countries. And what I noticed this week, because as I said, I appreciate it a lot and I, I liked it. But on the other hand, I've seen a couple of interactions where, uh, of chances in which the person remote becomes again, a second class citizen. So I've already assisted at a few meetings where, uh, there's like four or five people in one room, they're having a conference call. There's four or five people not in the room. It's impossible unless it's carefully moderated to have the people in the room, not interrupting and paying attention to the people, uh, offline, uh, online. Um, yeah. That's why some people suggest that even if you're in the same office, everyone should sit in front of their computer, right? Yes. And I second that absolutely. So go and bond with your colleagues, but either you are all in one room or just do it as if you were remote because it's, uh, it's really hard otherwise to, uh, really include everyone in the conversation. And, uh, second, we had a team event in which we spent some time together. We went laser tagging. We went for dinner for the people that weren't able to join us for different reasons, because they didn't have the time or because they literally cannot because their country doesn't allow them to travel uh, or our country doesn't allow them to travel. There was nothing like literally nothing. Yeah. So, uh, I realized that the guy, one of the guys in, in my, in my team wouldn't have been able to attend. And, uh, last minute, 
I have to say that that was also not very smart of me, very considerate. I realized that he would have been working while we were out having fun. Yeah, I explicitly told him to go and have fun. So <laughs> everybody should be able not to work if uh, even yeah. if they are not able to attend the team event. It's not. Yeah, at least fair. that, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm going to be a little bit more. I'm going to try and be a little bit more considerate of the people that are not in the office because I've been there and it's not fun and it's not fair. Mm, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to wait for next week to uh, actually talk about the other pressing topic that I have. No spoilers. So sorry. I was hoping to have that for this week, but ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on my end, I'm still thinking about uh, the broader end of year topics of performance reviews and career progressions and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so the 360 reviews aren't done yet. So I've, I've written mine, uh, but apparently not everyone has. So they have extended it to another week. So maybe next week I will get mine. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Hopefully that works. It seems to take all a bit longer than they expected. Uh, not like 10 minutes per review, like yes. they said. <laughs> not gonna um, happen. Yeah, it might be there better than, let's see. Yeah, so I've been, career-wise, I've been sort of doing basically only two things. One was I'm a software developer in the team. Mm -hmm. And then I jumped to director of engineering for about a year and realized that this management style job isn't my my cup of tea. So I went back to basically being a developer in a team. And now I'm sort of wondering what, what else is there, right? So mm. there's this, this standard, or there was, was this standard of, Hey, you are a good developer. Uh, you are so good that we will make you stop writing code <laughs> and you can uh, start managing people, which is something yet that you have no experience in. And then I guess at least some companies realized that this is maybe not the smartest move to move mm. someone into a field that they might not be good at or might not even enjoy like me, <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe on both accounts. I don't know, um, but definitely the latter. Now I'm wondering what else is there? What, what other options have people come up with for, for careers, for developers? How, how do you sort of tap into the knowledge of, of your very experienced, uh, engineers basically mm. do you have any any early uh, thoughts around this it's like based on your current knowledge what would be yeah i think it's always dangerous to 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 get people too far out of the trenches basically mm -hmm. because if you if you don't sort of go towards toward too far towards just the theoretical knowledge i don't know that architect in his ivory tower that's been quoted so many times in yeah. so many places. I can see how that is not ideal because it might not actually be what uh, the teams and the company actually needs. So if, if you sort of step out of the, the, the team and say something, I uh, try to find something where you, where you want to support more than one team, it definitely needs to be something where you definitely collaborate with the teams and they basically guide, sort of tell you what they what they want and maybe you can provide your input and i wouldn't say it's the best way to do it the other way around right yes you, you don't want to be the one who is dictating something because it, it might actually be the wrong choice 
in that and situation. it's not gonna work people don't like to be told what to do yeah that as well because you have to be careful because if you sort of annoy developers too much these days they just go somewhere else right yes <laughs> and it's and it's just not fun and not efficient for anyone i guess it's maybe the more nicer way of saying it yes again i so what i the one of the things that i learned while trying to figure out how to grow the people in my team was that there are different level of guidance that you can give people based on their experience if you drop someone uh, on a problem that they have never faced before that don't that doesn't have a lot of seniority in general like a, a lot of experience it's not even seniority just experience mm -hmm. the likelihood of that problem paralyzing that person because they don't know it's higher so the cost of this is you're gonna get the people basically I'm, I'm using a big word but bear with me traumatized like feeling that they're having a bad experience uh yeah. the likelihood of people being slow in solving the problem and solving it in a less than optimum way is higher so what you want to do is for people that are more junior is to show them and literally guide them maybe with questions and whatnot but do not leave them alone on on that issue and the more the person grows the, and, and gets experience, the less need they will have of you holding their hands. And this applies to teams just as well. So if you go to a team and you tell them exactly, like, this is what you have to do, and you don't involve them in the conversation, you are wasting actually their time and their money and, and your money and your time and your money again as a company less as i said less than optimal results because um these people are the ones that know the problem the best and if you come and give them a solution for a problem that is not what they need and they don't buy in you're gonna just disempower them and uh, the outcome is that very likely they're gonna leave yes yeah. unless everyone is annoyed yeah <laughs> yes unless these people don't care enough again it's a trade-off it depends what you want to do it's like if it's okay for you to have high turnover there are situations in which this is perfectly fine for a company imagine an, an agency do you an agency that wants to turn out as many customers as possible with also not a particularly high retention rate of their customers uh, of their customers do you need to invest that much maybe not it's not it necessarily a judgment you just have to adapt to the situation you're in if you are a product company like ours business to business for sure but still product company you want to retain the people that you have because the systems that you are building are custom for you and for your problem and for your customers losing those people is not gonna help you <laughs> yeah definitely not yeah yeah, and, and sort of the other other thing that I then wonder is, would it be helpful to have someone or a group of people, not necessarily someone outside of the team, or may, but maybe a group of people sort of coming from all the teams that sort of know roughly about the whole system that the company mm -hmm. has to sort of realize when one team is going into one direction and the next team is going into a different direction and it might be at least a good idea to double check if it makes sense or if there's some common uh, direction you can go to and maybe sort of, I don't know, 
have some efficiency benefits by doing it only once or one and a half times instead of two times. Mm. I assume it's it's always very easy to sort of lose that where basically every team works on their stuff because obviously it's important and it needs to get done. And where does the time come from to, to sort of look w at what the other teams are doing? And mm -hmm. I wonder if there's, there's something that can be helpful to have someone at least. I don't know, being a, at least a tiny bit involved in every every team and then asking the question, hey, this other team is doing that. Have you considered that or have you talked to them or something like that? I think it does a lot of sense. It does have a lot of sense. Again, here we're talking about, you know, like, as always, take into account the dimension of the company, blah, 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 the stage, et cetera, et cetera. So all the caveats, I'm not going to repeat, but in a way, so I've seen this inflected in different ways. I've seen this um, done with this concept of the, um, you can call them chapter lead, platform leads, team leads, things like that. So these are people that are highly specialized in their technology and they don't belong to any team. Uh, they might or might not, ideally they should collaborate with each other and they keep a bird's eye view, a uh, bird eye view of what's happening across the whole code base by doing code reviews or uh, being pulled in conversations, because this is actually what happens in the end, like teams are going to come to you and ask you about your opinion before actually doing something. You don't even have to go and tell them they're going to yeah. come and ask you. So these people can actually have this kind of uh, influence. I've seen this partially done, and I think it's mostly also done in any case, whatever, whatever the size by engineering managers. There's a reason why you have engineering managers together with product managers sitting in a room talking about what is your team doing. One example that I can give is uh, it, it wasn't my experience in my previous company, but in my current company, there is a weekly alignment meeting. It's called product operations. And all these people sit in one room and we all share in a big document what's the status of our teams, what are the plans for this week, what have been the highlights and lowlights. And if there are topics, we can discuss them. We can comment on the document and uh, ask clarification questions, um, anything really. So partially it's done by potentially the engineering managers. In other companies, it might be done by product managers example it's less on the on the code side but in terms of features and and what is released can be done also by by product managers depends on the on the structure there's other companies that uh, that do this more on the on the side so more like the the leads i was talking before and others that do it with uh, also Technical leads, I'm talking about engineering managers, but there's also specific people, uh, tech leads within the teams that do that do the same. I've seen also more of like, it takes a little bit from the Spotify air quotes model, this concept of, you know, circles. So these are people that are specialized in a, in a specific technology, no matter the, the seniority but they're just interested in talking about architecture and whatnot. So that also works uh, well in uh, catching these uh, cross team uh, topics.
topics and alignments. Mm-hmm. But to answer uh, or to to give you a reply uh, to the very first question, like what's beyond senior engineer? We are a very young industry, so a lot of things are still being named right now. Yeah, very senior engineer. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> but you can already see some some more labels being created. So there's companies that have principal stuff. Uh, what did I distinguished engineer? And um, there are things that are out there that you can do past a senior a senior level. It depends a lot on what the company defines uh, as the different levels. So what is very senior in one might not be very senior in another one. Yeah. So there's no answer. Yeah. Or maybe basically the answer is every company needs to define it on their own terms, basically. Yeah. So these days in, in my current company, we are discussing about how a career progression letter should look like. We, we are, our CTO is currently writing a framework for people to to identify the areas where they need to grow in and for the uh, people managers to uh, help their people grow. And what I've noticed is that there one of the topics that we were discussing about is uh, was that of titles, right? Because one thing you don't want to do is inflate titles for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. And within a company, you don't, you still don't want, or within a team, you still don't want titles to muffle too much the participation of people that don't feel that they are good enough. But I guess it's always a balancing act, right? Because you also have the opportunity with defined titles to sort of define bands of how much they're going to make, right? So yes. to bring some level of fairness into the game there and say, hey, you don't exactly know what the other person is making, but look at that and look at his title and you can roughly tell what it's going to be. Precisely. And I appreciate a lot the fact that uh, I was able to work with people that explicitly said, I don't care about the title of someone. If someone has a good idea, that's a good idea. I don't care. And everybody should be allowed to speak, no matter their seniority. Sometimes I pers- I've been on the other side of the of the argument. In hindsight, I think the other side of the argument has better arguments mm-hmm. <laughs> for, the, for the conversation. But we have to also be realistic and understand that titles are relevant for the job market. So if you're really thinking about the people in your team, and you want to take care of them, you have to be conscious of the fact that you cannot renounce titles because that is a currency. And it's a currency that is extremely useful for underrepresented categories. So what for you as the regular, you know, engineer as the, by the stereotype, let's say, might not be important because people take for granted the fact that, you know, you are a senior engineer because yeah, who should doubt you, right? For others, that's not the case. During the offside, and this doesn't apply only to engineering, during the offside, there uh, there was um, a few people on another table, they were discussing 
these were doctors and they were discussing uh, uh, their experience uh, when uh, when working in in hospitals and uh, this one guy he's a doctor and his wife is also a doctor and they had the chance to study and finish their um finish their studies together in the same hospital so they were doing same shifts same patients and whatnot and he clearly stated that he was asked maybe once or twice if he was the doctor his now wife was asked 20 times more than him if she mm -hmm. was the doctor yeah other uh, uh, another doctor at the same table was saying that she was in the room and she was talking to the patient as soon as another male person it didn't even have to be the doctor was entering the room tada guess who the patient was looking at for information reassurance confirmation whatnot so for these kind of people it's important to be called doctors because that reinforces the concept that they are competent it's a currency that they can use yeah so but internally do as you like in our case we have decided to pick uh levels so it's going to be l1 l2 l3 also to make it explicit that uh, becoming manager is not is not the only way to progress from the technical track at some point we have a split between the the levels the levels are the same they're called both l1 l2 l3 but the track is different one is the managerial track the other one is a technical track so stays technical and then these levels are mapped outside with titles within a company you also can have more levels than uh than titles for example i don't know like there's very big companies like microsoft you have 30 levels but your title outside doesn't change that much you're still a junior even if you are an l5 yeah. you're still yeah. Yeah. but yeah so i went too deep into the rabbit hole of the of the titles i'm sorry <laughs> no no it's all good it's all very interesting and will be interesting to see uh, when and if I experience that and how it's going to work mm. out here, because this is sort of my first year of I, basically this is the first year and I experience at this company. And I guess it's also the first time where there's something more happening than just, hey, one extra meeting with your boss. Yeah. <laughs> so I, ba basically, that's something I have actually never experienced because I've worked mainly for really small companies and it's just there aren't enough people to to make it work to, to, yeah. to warrant having all that in place basically ah another thing that was uh that came out of the conversation about this progression framework was that um if we want to uh so if you look at how the framework is written and you bring all those characteristics to the maximum what you end up having is the same kind of person the same type of person mm -hmm. and another a colleague of mine also engineering manager pointed out is like the incentive then will be that uh, will be such that we will always end up hiring the same kind of person over and over again is that what we want again question because if that's not our intention we need to clarify that wh where are the the boundaries and we came up with the metaphor of that of you know role-playing games 
Like you want to have a party, like if you have all mages, that's not going to work. Like as soon <laughs> as you find something that is resistant to your fire magic, you're going to be screwed because they are, will come and roll over you. So what you want is also diversity of, of experience. So what we want to have is wide variety of characters in, in this, and we will be reflecting this with kind of like archetypes. So you will have someone that is more focused on their specific platform, someone that prefers to go wide and have multiple platforms, multiple technologies in under their belts. You will be the one you will have the one that is uh, thinking more about the scalability of a system. Someone else is going to be more interested into about into the quality of uh, of the code that we put out there. So more on the testing side, blah, blah, blah. And I think that or at least in my experience, that is something that hasn't yet been so so spoken about. Because again, our mental image of a developer, of a software engineer is always one and the same. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Future episode coming up with a certain guest we had back in the day, I assume, sometime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, I consumed all the time speaking as always. <laughs> yeah. Has this helped you a little bit? Yes, this has helped me. And again, I wonder if it in general doesn't make sense for our industry to actually spend more time looking at what other industries are doing. Because sort of now, now comes my plug for another podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Stationary Adjacent. Um, it's to people that are, that are on the one hand into stationary, so pens, paper and stuff like that. Okay. So there's like a certain part of the episodes about that, but they are also very experienced in the, in their field. So one is, I think, an accountant and also very up, high up in his organization, it seems. Mm -hmm. And the other is basically is sort of in the somewhere in the business about money and uh, foreign currencies and has founded at least, I don't know how many companies and is also very experienced. And I'm not sure if it was intentional. Uh -huh. uh, but it has become sort of at least 50% per of the podcast has become a, a management podcast, I would say, with sometimes stuff sprinkled in about, I don't know, I don't know, personal productivity and stuff like that. They obviously don't talk about software development, but if you look at it, it's always the same topics, right? You can basically yes. tr translate 99% of the things they talk about to whatever we, we do, right? That's fascinating. You don't, you don't want to look at something big and nebulous. You want to, I don't know, split it up into small concrete parts. Hmm. Where have we heard uh -huh. that? Where have we heard that? <laughs> so it's, it's very interesting. I'll put a link to it in the, in the show notes. I'm not sure if it's really interesting to everyone, especially the beginning where they talk about, Hey, I'm using this pen this week. <laughs> Maybe not, <laughs> but then the topics in the end that come afterwards, they're also always very informative, at least to me. Hmm. My personal take is that, and I think I, I also said this already at least once, there is a lot of value in um, learning from other people's experience in different, uh, in different, different industries, even beyond the 
engineering per se. Like we always talk about how software engineering is different from, I don't know, electrical engineering or things like that. But so what can we mutuate from the other engineering disciplines so that our software engineering discipline becomes more of an engineering discipline instead of like this half thing, kind of like wizardy, magic, crafty work job. And it's a little bit the concept of the mental models. They are models that you can apply over and over and over again to problems, no matter the field. And if you get to master these models, you are going to take better decisions, faster decisions, and you're going to be, if we look at the angle of productivity, you're going to be extremely productive and effective in your decision making. And this makes you a much more effective human being in all aspects of your life, because you can take decisions like, where do I want to live next? Or should I, should I go and uh, dip in the butter, <laughs> dip in the butter, um, or should I go training? So you can apply this to many, many uh, aspects of uh, the human experience in the end. It's always the matter of choosing the right tool for the job. All right. And with that, I guess uh, we can end this episode here. Where can people find you on the internet, Monica, if they're not people... coming to your office to get you cold? <laughs> people can find me on my website, monicag.me. I haven't updated it in a while, but uh, you will still find some interesting information about me there. I usually hang out on Twitter. Uh, where you can find me at uh, KF Molly with an I. Be prepared in a couple of months. There will be uh, again some uh, song contests somewhere, and I will be tweeting in Italian. But uh, <laughs> as of now, it's mostly technical stuff that I retweet. <laughs> <laughs> and the usual platforms, you know, like LinkedIn and uh, and GitHub. Uh, you can find me with my name or. Uh, with my nickname, Nirnaith. What about you? You can also find me on Twitter sometimes um, as UJH, but mostly you can find me here on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and if you wanna, if you wanna reach us, give us feedback, or maybe ask questions, have topic suggestions and stuff like that, you can also email us at hosts at expandingbeyond.it. All right, everyone, uh, thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye-bye. See you next time.